0: At Kili Companies, it is no secret that they believe in the power of people. In an effort to help their Kilians get to know each other a little bit better, they decided to launch the Who Do You Know campaign. The goal was simple. Kilians were encouraged to have a conversation with someone outside of their circle. That's it. These conversations, however, have brought people together and farthered their world-class culture. Shout out to the Keelians who have made an effort to have meaningful conversations with new friends. You can learn more about those conversations about those amazing friends by visiting them online at Keely Companies.
1: Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book, On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary.
0: Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. A couple questions for you as we introduce today's guest. You ready for it? Ever had a reason to not do something in your life? Ever had a reason? Ever felt like the thing that you wanted to do was just too hard or maybe that you weren't worthy or that the effort wasn't ultimately worth the struggle? Well, today's guest is going to challenge us to take the next right step to stop making excuses and to start living fully. Growing up on the east side of Detroit next to a crack house, Martinez Evans had to fight his entire life. He lost his two brothers growing up. His parents split when he was young, and young Martinez was bullied his entire life for a weight issue. He faced a decision early in his life, in his early 20s, to lose weight or die. And Martinez vowed back to the physician, I'm going to run a marathon. And then he realized that a marathon required him running more than 26 miles. Well, since then, Martinez has run, you ready for this, eight marathons and hundreds of other races in his almost 300 pound body he's been losing weight he's been getting healthier he's been living more fully he's been featured on men's health and runner's world and he's created a a devoted community for those who feel intimidated by running he's empowered now tens of thousands of individuals to not only lace up their shoes and begin the race of life but to recognize indeed that they are worthy. They are worthy. Their life is worthy. And as you listen to this episode today, you are going to be utterly convinced that yours is too. My friends, without further ado, here's what you're going to have to do today. You're going to have to get your sports drink, pull it up close, whether that's water or Gatorade or something else, to stay hydrated. You're going to need to get that pair of tennis shoes, put them on tight. You're going to need that sweatband around your forehead, and you're going to need to get ready to run the race not just a marathon, but of life with my friend and soon to be yours. His name is Martinez Evans. Martinez, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary.
1: John, thank you for having me.
0: It is my great pleasure to have you. When you have an opportunity of meeting someone for the first time and introducing yourself, you today wear so many hats. I'm curious if I bumped into you in a grocery store, how would you introduce yourself to me?
1: Oh, man, John, what I'll say is that I'm just a kid from Detroit, Michigan. Here's why I grew up on the east side of Detroit, Michigan. Before the age of 11, I had two brothers die on me. So I had a brother who died because he was in the drug game. And then I had another brother who unaligned itself. And I found his body. I grew up with that and that memory in my heart and individuals telling me that I was going to end up like my brothers. Hmm. Fast forward to now. I am an eight-time marathoner who's ran over a hundred other different races. I've created a global platform called the Slow up run club, where we get individuals who feel intimidated about running. We help lower the bar of intimidation. Um, I've also been on the cover of runner's world. I pose nude and men's health. Just the overall guy who's here to inspire the world.
0: It's awesome, dude. We we don't have a ton of runners on the live inspired podcast, but we're coming at it now from both sides. We had a woman named Sister Booter, who's known as the Iron Nun. Okay. And she started running way later in life, almost almost by the age of 60 is when she took her first running stride. You began very differently from a diff- very different neighborhood for very different reasons. But what Those of us who've known your story and watch from the sidelines and the finish line receive from both of you is encouragement, not only for what you have done, but also what we can do in our lives. That's what I'm excited and humbled to share with our audience today. So we're going to back up, man. We're going to take off the running shoes for a moment. We're going to head on back to East Detroit. I want you to talk first about your mom, and then I want to hear about your dad. So talk about your mom for a little bit.
1: My mother grew up in Akron, Alabama. A very small city outside of Tuscaloosa, Alabama. She moved to Detroit with the Great Migration. Didn't have uh, more than the eighth grade education. Moved to Detroit for a better life. My father, same thing. wasn't from Akron, Alabama. He was from a small city called Columbia, Mississippi. Um, the closest city there is Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And the same thing. Had less than a high school education. Moved to Detroit because of the Great Migration, and started working at GM. He spent 30 years working at GM. My mother um, worked at a supplier who supplied glass to all of the big three.
0: Mm. So they, they left the South. They came up to Detroit. They're looking for a better life. They're employed. They're doing as well as they can together, but it's hard, man. And the neighborhood where you grew up, it was your neighborhood. It was your home. You loved it. But looking back on it, it was a tough spot. Will you just share with our listeners and viewers what the neighborhood was like where you grew up?
1: So the Ravendale neighborhood, as we like to call Lovingly 500 block, this neighborhood is what born and bred the person that you see now. So I grew up next to a crack house. Every day going to school, I had to walk past that crack house. So every day was a different a different situation. Somebody sleeping on the grass, individuals outside, individuals making noise, dogs barking, bottles busting, all of that stuff every day of my life.
0: Hmm. Growing up there with that kind of background noise, did you know that, that that was hard? Did you know that this was wrong? Did you know that what they were doing was uh broken man? No, that's the, that's the wild thing of all of this, John.
1: It was just everyday life. You know, you see somebody on the ground and it's like Margie, go mm-hmm. on somewhere. Or you see, you know, the, the neighborhood drug dealer, you knew him on a first name basis as you're going to school. Hey Meach, how you doing? Yeah. It was just everyday life, just regular to me.
0: You mentioned in your own introduction that you lost a brother when you were one or two years old. Did your family talk about that much when you were growing up as a little guy?
1: Not as much, man. And even now it's it's really hard to like pull. My brother's story out of my family because it was just one of the things that was just so devastating to the family. Individuals very seldomly talk about him. Right. Going through life and looking through pictures. I remember when my mother was moving from the current situation to her to her new spot and looking at some of the pictures and be like, hey mom, like who's that? And I say, Oh, that's your brother. What brother? Yeah. Where he at? Where where is he? say well you know he died when he was like one or two so when are we all going to tell me this yeah How was going to find out about his story or his journey how who was he what was his personality like those things you just don't get when you have individuals who are lost by trauma yeah
0: well and brother you're you're about to go through a lot more of it You have self-described yourself as being a pretty chubby kid, full of love and full of life, but but a pretty chubby kid growing up. In first grade, you have an experience that both shares how beautiful your heart is, but also how quickly and frequently it's going to be broken in life. And so I read about this through a couple of the folks that I follow online, but uh, would you share the story of a project you received? Every first grader had to write about something they cared for deeply.
1: So I want everybody to sit down and think about where were you in first grade when the teacher told you to come up in front of the class and tell the class, what do you care for? What do you love? So while other individuals came up there with pictures of their dog or, you know, pictures of their brothers and sisters, hey, I love my brother. He's new. Everybody look at this picture. I had something else on my heart and something else on my mind. There was a young lady in this classroom that I had eyes for. Let's just say it that way. I had the biggest crush on her. Prettiest girl in the classroom. So when it was my time to go up there, I stood up there, my head held high, my feet firmly planted, and I said, I love her. It got real quiet, just like it did for those couple of seconds. And then what you heard was, ugh, you can't like me. Your titty's bigger than mine. And then the class erupted. Ah, titty boy, titty boy, titty boy. And that's when I found out, hey, I was fat and it was a bad thing to be fat. Hmm.
0: Nicknames can sear and they can burn. And you're growing up in a tough neighborhood to begin with. And now you've got this nickname that does not go away. Uh, talk about being a little kid. Walking around with that, walking around, kind of being looked down upon by almost everybody else in the class.
1: John, it's tough, man. It's very tough. Just imagine just going through school and everyone looks at you and they look at you like they know a secret that you don't. That's what it looks like. And that's what it feels like. And they're pointing and they're laughing. And I've, I've been bullied. I've been pushed around and it really got to a point where I got fed up and I had to fight back. Yeah. So it went from the fat chubby kid getting bullied to me becoming a bully because that was the only way for me to make it home, man.
0: Well, you, you make it home as a nine-year-old kid. This is going on in your life. Mm -hmm. Your parents split. Then a year later, fifth grade, your life takes another sideways step, man. I'll let you share the story. But ultimately, your brother passes away by suicide.
1: Yes, my brother, I'm I'm alive this off, And I remember that day was just very odd. So, for example, I I woke up early and just the house just felt cold. Next thing I get, I get a phone call and it's my father on the line. He's telling me to wake up my mother. She gets on the phone and it's just silence. So I'm like, you know, what's going on? What's going on? And she was like, your brother's died. And at first I was angry because I was like, who killed my brother? We get dressed and we we go to my brother's house and, you know, during that scene, you have police, you have ambulance and like, there's just a whole lot of commotion going on. And somehow I get lost in the sea. So while my mother and father are talking to whoever they're talking to, I just walk into my brother's house because I'm curious. I'm who would kill him? Do I know them or whatever? And then I see my lifeless brother body laying in the front room. You know that's something that that you just can't get out of. Right. That you just can't unsee. And then I think what hurt. The most is when it went from where individuals thought that it was a murder investigation to him taking his own life. Yeah. And I think for me, that was something that just lasted and stayed with me my whole life. It went from being angry that thinking somebody killed your brother to being more angry that he he did this to his own self. And not being sure and confused at that age of, why would he do that? And is that okay for me to do? Mm-hmm. So for times when things got rough throughout my life, it was something that that was a part of my own mindset as well. Of like, well, things get tough, I can just take my life as well. And I've had times where I've gotten really close to that. You know, luckily I was able to, you know, just get the help I need to really understand that it's not the way to go. Mm. But it took me a very long time. It took me until I was in my twenties.
0: It was one of the questions I wanted to ask you because life for most kids and certainly adolescents and high school kids is hard. And that's when you come home to a stable home with parents who are doting on you and loving on you and siblings who are around and healthy structure and all this other stuff, life is hard. Yeah. Man, you grew up East Detroit, parents split, older brother passes away when you're a little guy, you're bullied and made fun of, you're overweight. Your older brother takes his own life. Your neighbor's a crack house. He eventually passes away. And this is another one of your friends. And so all you see around you is death and destruction and upheaval. So if that's your life, what kept you with your head on straight moving forward into it? Like, I, I'm amazed that you progressed through those difficult days as you did. One of the things that
1: happened growing up in the east side of Detroit and growing up in that particular neighborhood is that individuals started to flock to me, especially when when my brother uh, died by suicide. Like individuals flocked to me. and like my brother was like the guy in the neighborhood. He was the neighborhood mechanic per se. So instead of going to the dealership, getting your car fixed, my brother fixed your car, changed the transmission for a case of beer and two packs of cigarettes. Just for the love, right? When he passed, the whole neighborhood was distraught, and they started to flock to me and supported me. So for example, I think about um one situation when I asked a neighborhood drug dealer, I was like, Hey, me and my mom are struggling. I want to play football, but I can't really afford cleats. Like, put me on. Like, let me sell drugs so I can go buy football cleats and do this stuff. And him look at me and say, You're not about that life. And I, I wouldn't let a your mother would kill me and B, just for the respect of your brother. I can't let you do that. Mm. There were times and situations and choices that I made where individuals in my life was like, no, I can't let this happen to you. Your mother and your family have lost too many men and boys in your life in order to let you go down this route as well.
0: You had individuals who, you know, surprisingly like this guy who was a drug dealer, setting you straight and showing up for you and, and being generous with you. You also had a couple of examples of people who eventually would show up in your life who weren't appropriate in the way they spoke to you, but the message they delivered may have changed your life. And I want to share both of those stories. There were more than two, but one of them is a football coach. So you eventually get those cleats. You eventually try out for that team. You're a bigger guy. You're going to be successful in the offensive line. And as you're practicing and hitting and dominating out there on the field, eventually they get your report card. And so they line up all the guys outside on this field. And I want you to take it forward from there.
1: Yes, John. So we're practicing. I'm I'm this close to making the team. And it's report card day. So at our school, this is the day where individuals get football pads and we really start getting to the training of being on the football team. So everything else is all conditioning, you know, a couple drills, things of that sort. But now it's game time. All you have to do, there's one extra hurdle you got to do to get past. And that's to have a 2.5 GPA. Martinez at that time did not have a 2.5 GPA, job.
0: <laughs> Dude, I'm not judging you.
1: <laughs> Martinez at that time did not have a 2.5 GPA. And I knew that but I still wanted to play football and my football coach, as we are all handing out our grades and our report cards was like, all right, give him this pass. He looked at mine. And he was like, what are you doing here? Why are you wasting all of our time? Like we needed you and we expected you to be here. And now you can. not So get off my field and go do something about your grades Because if not, you're no longer invited here. And from that point on, I started to focus on my grades, man. I started to, because I knew for myself that football was going to be the way that I got out of Detroit. Hmm. So if the coach told me, hey, you got to get this 2.5 or higher, you got to get these grades together. That's what I did. And then eventually that following year, I was able to get on the field, man.
0: Tough love frequently yeah. shows up in people we would not have expected it and in ways we don't want it. But that man and his call out of you in front of everybody else ultimately is why you got those grades up. It's ultimately why you got that scholarship that took you out to Lane College. Set you on a path of life, man. You 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 start taking the right steps in some aspects of your life, but physically, man, you keep expanding. You you become a, a bigger guy. And in June, I think of 2012. How old are you at that point? 23. 23 years old. Your hip's been hurting. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. One doctor's not helping you. You go to another doctor, and he gives you a, a diagnosis you you weren't expecting. And he gives it to you so directly that it it uh, offended you. Would you talk about that doctor's visit?
1: absolutely john so just to provide a little more context to, to the listeners so in june 2012 i worked at men's warehouse so i've graduated um, college i'm an ex-football player i've I ballooned up to about 360 pounds for me maybe even a little bit more but i'm on my feet all day i'm on these hard bottom shoes eight to ten hours and i find myself in a doctor's office because this help is killing me and the doctor, I said, remember sitting down and, and the doctor is like, your hip, your hip hurts. I'm like, yeah, he's like, "Hmm." I know why you're, why you're in pain. I'm thinking to myself like, well, is it a previous football injury? Do I, you know, have to get a hip replacement. I'm just thinking like all these things. And he was like, it's because you're fat. And I was like, what? He said, you're fat. And he had two options. You need to either lose weight or die. John, I was there like, who's this guy calling me fat? Like, who are you? Like, you don't know me. I'm 6'3, 360, man. I can throw you all over this place. Like, who are you trying to disrespect <laughs> me? So we have this heated discussion, John. During this debate, you know, he's like, You got a stomach as a pregnant woman. You got these man boobs. You need to start walking, like all of this stuff. And I just remember like, ah. Like screw you! I'm gonna run a marathon. I can run a marathon, and he laughs at me. You run a marathon? That's the most stupidest thing I've ever heard in all of my years of practice in Madison. He said, "Mr. Evans, if you try to run a marathon, you will die." Like, what do you mean I'm gonna die if I try to run a marathon? You will die. And in my head, all I hear is you didn't need to lose weight or die. And if you try to run a marathon or try to do this thing, you're gonna die. And I'm thinking in my head, I just came here to see my hip. What about my hip? So I left, I stormed out that doctor's office. And as I was driving home, I rolled past this running shoe store and I made a legal U-turn and I went into the running shoe store. And I walked up to the first person, and I told them, "I need running shoes, and I need them now, because I was going to run a marathon that day." <laughs> John, I didn't know how long a marathon was, uh, <laughs> but I was going <laughs> to, but I was going to run a marathon that day.
0: Well, the, what, the journey of a thousand miles <laughs> begins with a single step, or whatever the old expression is. You take the first step with that illegal, u turn, you walk into that store, you walk out with those shoes. One of my favorite parts about your story, your journey, your marathon is that you go to the gym, man. You don't just like put the shoes up on a shelf and look at them. You actually put them on your feet. You go to the gym. There's three treadmills. Two of them are taken and I'll let you move it forward from there.
1: I walk into the, the fitness center and there's three treadmills. Two of them are taken. The only treadmill that's open is the middle treadmill. So you got to imagine, I'm 360 pounds, 6'3". I really don't have no type of running experience. So I'm wearing long basketball shorts, cotton hoodie, and I get on the treadmill. So I straddle the treadmill, and I look to my left, and there's a guy going, let's say 10 on the, on the speed. I look to my right, other guy's going like nine and a half, eight. So I think to myself, like, if these guys are are going this speed, I know I can at least do seven. I know I can at least do seven, John. If this guy's doing 10 and this other guy's doing nine and a half, I can at least do seven. Hitting the button up, put it up to seven. I'm straddling the, straddling the belt on either side. And I'm thinking to myself, like, here goes nothing. So I get on the treadmill and I'm running. And instantly I feel like either my body is rejecting the treadmill or the treadmill is rejected my body, but I still fight through. I hesitate to press the little stop red button because I'm like, this doctor cannot be right. I'm not going to die. I can run this marathon. And then I hesitated one more time. Boom. Fell off the treadmill, John. So I instantly get up, like, just try to play it off. Like, am I okay? Yeah. And when, you know, the guy stopped and it's was like, hey bro, like, are you all right? So I grab my cell phone, run out of the fitness center. Tears in my eyes as I'm walking home, thinking to myself, man, this doctor is right. i to die. So one thing that changed the table of all of this it's a tattoo I have on my right wrist. It's from a famous speech from Frederick Douglass. So the tattoo says, no struggle, no progress. So as I'm reaching out to turn the doorknob to come in, my sleeve rolls up a little bit and I see the tattoo and i pause for a second. I know what I got to do. So the next day, I went to the treadmill again and ran for 15 seconds mm. the day after that ran for 30 seconds the day after that able to run for a minute straight and i just kept doing that day after day after day until minutes became miles mm. and then miles became marathons
0: what kept you going i know you said the tattoo and, and the beautiful speech by frederick Douglass, and no struggle no progress but man, your upbringing was against you. Your neighborhood of origin was against you. Your weight was against you. The physician was against you. The loss of your brothers and neighbors were against you. Like it seemed like everything was stacked against you. Then you finally have the gall to stand on that treadmill. You take a few steps, you wipe out. What got you back up and brought you back to that place the following day and the following day and the following day?
1: Anger and spite. To be real, anger. So to have all of those things, to, to to experience all of those things in my life, I started to grow tough. And I started to grow with this chip on my shoulder. Initially, that is what fueled me. It's like, forget this doctor. Screw this man. Like, he's just not going to talk to me any type of way. He right. can't put hands on him. But I can prove his ass wrong by running this marathon. So that was the thing that initially fueled me when I first got started, is that
0: I got to prove this man wrong. So we, we work with a bunch of athletes, a bunch of teams, and I would have assumed coming into this line of work that what motivated people was victory, whether it's batting average or free throw line percentage or whatever it is. For the most part, what motivates the greatest athletes is the fear of defeat or something someone said to them years ago that still motivates them even today
1: agree i think about my favorite athlete michael jordan so i grew up in that era where mj was my
0: favorite athlete. But i would have thought you time. were a pistons guy and would have hated Jordan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately not different era but i remember michael talking about these things of like you know him making a list and thinking about all the things that people have said to him. And like, those are the things that he ruminated on in order to like push him to his greatness. And even for his like hall of fame speech, he had like this list, any, (laughs) any and everybody that has ever did him wrong looked at him a different way. Like he had that list and like, that's what fueled him. Yes. And for me, it was the same thing. Like I had that list, like, and that doctor was on the top of that list. Now I'll name it every night of like, these are the people I need to prove wrong.
0: And amazing thing comes out of that list and that treadmill experience of that new new pair of shoes that you have on your feet. You run a marathon uh, against overwhelming odds and against everybody's expectations. You do this thing. And that feat in and of itself is remarkable But you also had people throughout that marathon almost actively rooting against you. You're obviously not going to finish first, and you're not going to finish in the middle of the pack. You're going to be near the end, but you're still running. Mm -hmm. And at about mile marker 19, there's a driver who comes around and tries to pick you up and says, man, come on in. The the race is almost over. Just get on in, and I'll drive you to the finish line. Why didn't you get into that car?
1: (laughs) He became the top of my list.
0: (laughs) (laughs) In that you're moment. vindictive like Jordan. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. But he became the top of my list. I had a goal. I had a goal. And I was going to finish it. And mile 19, and yeah, I'm running. And this this guy is like, he's in the, this, what we call the SAG vehicle. So it's like support and gear. So it's like the, the for anybody who hasn't ran a race, like there's like police and vans and things that I store at the back We're like constantly moving back and forth for like just in case somebody gets injured or or like somebody's like hey i'm just done i'm not going to finish running this race so this guy was a volunteer driving this this sag vehicle and mile 19 he pulls up beside of me and it's like hey big man want to ride to the finish line it's like no i thought he was just being nice like no no i'm all right i come about this other guy who stopped running and started to walk so I, I look next to him and i'm like hey man like you got this like keep going and he was like i'm done i see what you're trying to do i see you trying to inspire me but i'm done so he then gets in the he waves down the van he gets in the van van pulls off about another mile goes by and the van pulls up to me again he's like hey big man want to ride to the finish line something about that just didn't Seemed like he was trying to help me, John. Seemed like he was trying to get me to quit. So I was like, No, I'm good. And this keeps happening. Hey, big man, you want to ride? Hey, big man, you want to ride? And then, John, my mind and my body are playing tricks on me. So now I'm in what I like to call the pancake. So, you know, there's a part of the marathon where you hit like the, the proverbial wall. So, like, run out of energy. You feel like you just can't do it anymore. And like that is the hardest position in the race where you just got to push through to get there. And I hit that wall and my mind is telling me like, Hey, you should get, you should get in that van. I'm talking, I'm literally talking to myself. I'm having this conversation. Like, no, like I need to finish this race. Like I came here to run it and finish this race. And my mind is like, no, you need to, you need to get in this van. And then mile after mile, John is, Hey, big man, you want to, you want to ride to the finish line? And then my mind, you know, all of this will stop if you get in that van. So I'm battling two theoretically, two people. Mm-hmm. And then I get to mile 25 and i just had enough because mile at the mile, this guy is like, Hey, big man, like, Get in the car. I'll take you to the finish line. So mile 25, I blow up like, hey, like I'm at mile 25. I'm less than a mile away. Why would I want to get in the the van now? Like, why are you doing this? And then him be like, I can't help that you fat and slow. I'm just trying to help you out. Hmm. What do you mean? Leave me alone. So he he drives off we have this big argument or whatever and the, and then i finally finished the race took me around 7 hours to run my first marathon it's like being on your feet and running for a whole work
0: day so man i'm not, i'm not a runner Uh, I'm barely a walker and I'll run if a dog is chasing me or if I'm trying to catch a flight home. So that's when you'll see the O'Leary dart taking off. (laughs) But anyone who right now is thinking, man, that is slow, seven hours, to your point, imagine moving your body, moving your legs, almost 400 pounds of flesh down that roadway, hour after hour after hour, mile after mile after mile, not only with your own voice saying, dude, this is hard, I should quit. But the outside voice is saying, hey, big fella, get in. I- I'm amazed that you finished. I'm in awe of it. And I'm just curious, how did it feel to cross that finish line?
1: It was the greatest thing ever, that has ever happened to me, man. Because I did that. Yeah. I put in the training and I competed. everything that was trying to make me stop, including myself. And in spite of all of that, I still made it to the finish line.
0: Hmm. Your, your girlfriend at the time, you subsequently said the words back to her, "I do." So she's no longer longer your girlfriend. But talk yeah. about seeing Char at the at the finish line.
1: So seeing Char there and my mother. So Char and my mother was there, and it it, it was like a feeling. It was like ecstasy, man, if that's the, the best word. I just felt so elated to see the two women in my life that I love the most there to support me. And even having a conversation with my mother, she was like, oh, like I know you running a race. How long is the race? Like 26 miles. And her being like, woo. <laughs> that's a long drive. And she's like, that's like Detroit to Toledo. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you going to be all right? <laughs> yeah I'm gonna be all right mom you sure it's <laughs> 26 miles oh well I think I want to come just so I can see this so to be able to just have that experience and share that experience with my first marathon with the two women I love and for individuals like those two individuals who necessarily did not understand what a marathon was mm-hmm. and how people did that and how impossible that they seen that in their own minds, but I knew it was possible in my own mind. Once we crossed that finish line, everybody knew it was possible.
0: You crossed that finish line. You'll cross it more than a hundred times after that hundred different races, a total of eight full marathons. Sister Buddha, who I talked about earlier, the Iron Nun became the poster child for a different company called Nike. You become the ambassador globally for a company called Adidas. Like you mentioned, you've been on the front cover of Running World. You've been on the front cover of Men's Health. Uh, The picture of you there is beautiful, man. You're an author. You're a leader. You're an overcomer. You're married. You're alive. You know, you're proving the doctor wrong and you're proving the naysayers wrong. For those right now in life, whether it's around obesity or health or disease or they're lonely or they're dealing with a million things and everything looks too hard to even begin, let alone finish. What what advice would you offer them right now?
1: For anybody who's listening to this, let this voice through this microphone travel through your speakers into your ears. I know it's hard up there. I know it's rough. I know it feels like, like it is impossible. But I want you to know that you are impossible. Mm. And all you have to do is take the first step. I know that's hard, but I encourage you. And if encouragement is not it, I challenge you to take the first step. And then the other thing I also want to tell you is that it may look different than anything. And everybody that you've seen from all the examples you've seen, it may look different from the professionals. It may look different from me, but guess what? It's you doing it. Yeah. And that's the only thing that matters.
0: Man, right now we're on the podcast with Martinez Evans. He is an overcomer. He has finished last in a couple of these marathons, but guess what? He's still finishing. His shoulders are still back and his arms are in the air as he crosses alive. It's, it's an incredible example of overcoming, man. And I just, I am so impressed by what you've done and I can't wait to see what you're going to do next. We wrap up every podcast interview here with seven questions. So I need you to get your Adidas on, lace right. them up tight, dude, stretch a little bit, but here we go. What's been the most impactful book? that you've ever read
1: can't hurt me by Goggins reading that man's story I can see myself in it made me feel validated other people are also going through tough stuff as well and they are also able to overcome it just seeing him as a, a person of color doing those things I can also see myself in him. so I, I see the story I, I love it and Whenever I'm going through something and I can't seem to find the words to motivate my own self, Mm. I turn to Goggins.
0: What's one positive characteristic that you possessed as a kid growing up on the east side of Detroit that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today?
1: Oh, man, that is a good one. Truthfully, I wish I had more courage. I think I was very courageous back then. And over the time, you know, you get older, life happens, you get married, live in an apartment, you know, life just started to happen and you start to not make more steps that could be a little bit more courageous that could potentially put you out there further. Mm -hmm. I wish I still had that.
0: Dude, I got, I I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. All I'm saying is as as an outsider looking in, the courage you exhibited as a kid and the courage you still model today set you apart i can only imagine how courageous that little boy is if you're saying and that kid had even more courage than i do as a man because i think the man has an awful lot if your home caught fire and all living things are out chars out all the pets are out and you have an mm-hmm. opportunity of running in and grabbing one thing what's that one item you would come back outside with
1: it's, it's between either a my laptop or b my first race medal my first marathon medal I go back and forth between those two. A, my laptop, because A, it just has everything on there. But I think all that stuff can be replaced. But I don't know if I can let go of that memory of like that metal, man, like running Mm -hmm. the streets of Detroit. Like that race metal means so much to me that I might just end up leaving the laptop and grabbing that instead.
0: That's awesome. If you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous Eastern Michigan day, and have a long conversation with anybody living or dead. Who would you like to be seated on that park bench with?
1: My brother. I would say both of them, but I would love to talk to my brother who unalive yourself. I had a, a chance to like experience him for 10 or so years. And w- growing up, a lot of people was like, you know, you have mannerisms just like your brother. Mm. I'd never understood it. So I would love to just sit in front of him and have a conversation to really see what they, to see what they mean, but also to let them know that I didn't understand what he was going through back then, but I know what he's going through now.
0: What's the best advice that you've ever received? When you're going through hell, don't stop running. If you could go back in time to the start of the race to age 20. And whisper some encouragement or advice to that 20 year old young man. What would you say to yourself?
1: I would say it's gonna be a ride, a wild ride. You're not gonna expect or think, know what's gonna come your way, but follow it through, and it's gonna be so much rewarding on the other end.
0: Martinez Evans, it has been said that all great runners and authors and people and leaders can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read?
1: No struggle, no progress.
0: That one may have been taken, but we just taken it back, baby. No struggle, no progress. Douglas, now Evans. Man, I, I want to thank you for being Exhibit A of that truth lived out, not only in word, but in deed. Thank you.
1: Thank you, John.
0: Martinez Evans, I do have a final question for you. When When people hear your story, they read your book, they see you at the finish line what's one thing that you hope that they see in their life that they know they can do next in theirs
1: the main thing i hope that they see in their life is that everything needs to be personalized and tailored to your own specific needs and your own needs of hierarchy so i just hope that they take they take what the nuggets that they see from my story and take all the things that apply and try something out
0: and everything else. Just let it fly. Hmm. What I heard loud and clear is take the first step and then the second step and keep on moving forward and it will change your life. And it might even change the world. Martinez Evans. I want to thank you again for joining us. My friends, that is Mr. Evans. My name is John O'Leary and today is our day. Grab your shoes, lace them up tight and live inspired. Well, my friends, I told you on the front side that Martinez was going to remind us that you are worthy of running well the race of life. He had so much to teach us about setting a dream and the steps that it requires for you and I to achieve it. One quote that I found particularly moving was this. Write it down, won't you? Here it is. Minutes became miles and miles became marathons. That's awesome. That's awesome. Can you imagine pledging to run a marathon, yet not even being able to last 15 seconds on a treadmill? That's what he lasted the first time. Slowly but surely, Martinez built up seconds, and then minutes, and then hours, and then those seconds and minutes and hours became miles, and then those miles became eight marathons and hundreds of other races. Whether you, leaders, are running a marathon, getting ahead in your finances, or committing to a new hobby, by choosing to put one foot and take the next right step in front of the next, I guarantee you that the dreams are going to become realities. I mentioned during the interview about my friend, Sister Booter. You may have heard her name. You may have listened to the episode before. She started running at 48 years young. 48 years is the first time she ever ran for the very first time, and she ultimately would become a world-class athlete competing in more than 300 triathlons. If you think that you're too old, or you think that it's too late, or you think that you're just too inexperienced, do me a favor. Check out my episode with Sister Booter because she is going to encourage you to recognize that you are wrong, that you are worthy, that it's not too late, and the best is yet to come. You're probably asking right now, O'Leary, love the idea, don't know where to find her. Well, let me tell you. Cruise on over to JohnO'LearyInspires.com forward slash podcast. That's where we keep all of our podcasts, and you can listen to Sister Booter's at episode number 79. Anywhere that you pulled on your podcast, check it out. Episode number 79 with Sister Booter. And by the way, for those of you right now on the treadmill, or you're at work, or you're getting ready to worship, or you're working in the garden, or you're taking a lap around the neighborhood, why not tell your friends that you are listening to the always encouraging, always inspirational podcast called Live Inspired with John O'Leary It's a cool way in a cynical, negative, divided world to remind individuals that their life matters, that they are worthy, that we are better together, and that the best is yet to come. So for this time and until next time, my name is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Keep on moving forward and live inspired. You know that Keeley Companies is all about fostering the world-class culture through their incredible cultural pillars. Well, it was time to add a seventh cultural pillar, Keely Green. Guided by the mission to raise the sustainability standards by which they design, build, operate, and live, Keeley Green is dedicated to using a holistic approach to leave a positive impact on our environment, create a future that is sustainable for generations to come, In the words of Rusty Keeley, we are just getting started. You can learn more about that just getting started mentality and all the work they do by visiting my friends at Keeley Companies online at keeleycompanies.com.